Hey, this is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Good evening, guys. How's it going? Hey. It's going good. Glad to be back. Hell yeah. For a second week in a row after our hiatus. Yeah, I have been waiting a very long week for this discussion. Yeah. I'm excited about it. But before we get into tonight's battle, we have another battle going on. And um, I'm, it's, this, this, is, this is tough for me, I have to say. I'm having a hard time with these bracket challenges. Again, uh, if you live under a rock and don't know what the hell we're talking about, uh, on our Instagram, Matt hosts these bracket challenges and they make my blood pressure go up and... Um, I start challenging everybody to a duel. Um, yeah, what what the hell? What is what the, what the hell is this? There have been some pretty some pretty strong opinions um, <laughs> put forth on our you know our posts that we're doing for each day for these matchups, um, and you know um, there have been some hot button matchups here that have drawn the ire of many listeners and like who the own hell? sailor yes who can vote for bond scott over ronnie james dio are you fucking kidding me yeah well it's all a matter of taste but uh but ronnie man that's uh Your taste we'll is talk about a legend chose bond scott yeah. over and oh my god axel rose against Joan <laughs> and it was that close like, oh, yeah. Fuck off. I, You've yeah. got to be kidding me. I knew that would be the one that would set Sailor off because, I, uh, yeah. I instantly had a migraine. I haven't recovered since. That was several weeks ago. Um, God help me. If I, I, if I ever meet the people that voted <laughs> for Axel Rose over Joan Jett, I can't, I'm, I don't even know what to say. I mean, we could have put, we could have put like, we could have put Axel Rose against Foghorn Leghorn, and <laughs> Sailor would have been. I would going have chose Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> exactly, but you know, we put her, we we put him against, or you know, he was he was paired against someone that uh, is held in very high regard on the Spirit of Rock podcast uh, network uh, in Joan Jett. So it was complete opposite ends of the spectrum on that one. <laughs> oh yeah, See, I, I'm yeah. I'm telling you right now, this is. I don't know why you do this to me. Oh, my God. I don't do it to you. This yes, is, you do. Uh, the luck of the draw. I know you guys do this on purpose, and you laugh at me when I'm having heart palpitations. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, what was his name? Old Red? Like, Lordy, I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> oh, yeah, Red Fox. <laughs> yeah, Red Sam. Fox. I'm yeah. dating myself. <laughs> All I will say is that there are two matchups in the Sweet 16 that will... Um, uh, not so much, you know, love hate, but love love that will push you over the edge. There are two. <laughs> All right, I'm sick of it. Yes, let's go yeah. to tonight's topic. <laughs> this is called Love on the Rocks. It is all about us basically nerding out, geeking out on cocktails, on spirits, on all things alcohol-related, and more. And the history of those things as well. We want to defeat the <laughs> evils of prohibition, yeah. bring back the good old drinks, 
yes. and really just empower people to feel confident that like not only when you go up to a bar you can order what you want but also for our bartenders out there who feel like they don't have the tools or resources there are a lot of cocktail podcasts out there of course we know you could be listening to so many of them with people who are well known and famous and maybe cooler than us i don't know we want everyone to understand that the fanciest of cocktails really you can make it mm-hmm. you can drink it you can understand it four parts passion two parts history one dash of sarcasm one pinch of recipes one drop of questionable advice this is love on the rocks i'm sailor and i'm kayla welcome to the show all right well tonight's topic we are continuing our shows on overkill and last week we got a little bit of a background on the band. So if you haven't heard that yet, you might want to go back and take a listen to that. Yes, I'll pause. Go you back. Need to. Right here. Need to. to that. Okay. We're going to wait for you. Ready? Go. Okay, you're back. Awesome. Now we can continue. All right. <laughs> so as I said last week, and you just heard because you listened to it, it's, <laughs> another, it's a three-way battle. Taking over versus under the influence versus years of decay. Oh, I'm excited about this battle. I cannot wait. As am I. I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, Before we get into the battle, though, I don't know about you guys, but I need a stiff drink. (laughs) And Matt, you said last week that you had something very special prepared for us, something you've been waiting to do for a long time. Oh, I do have something very special. And I have been waiting for this episode for a very, very long time. Uh, what are we? Are we in year three now, or is this year two? I don't even know. It's been it's been a while. It's it feels while, like year ten. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> this is um, this is a topic that I have um, pushed for from the beginning, and I'm glad that we are here now. We were talking about it, and uh, very excited to get into this whiskey segment. But I would be remiss if I didn't give the floor to you guys about what you guys are drinking right now first ed are you even drinking whiskey (laughs) you know what for a three-way battle i thought it apropos that i have a belgian triple oh (laughs) well i should say belgian style belgian style actually from belgium yeah it's an american belgian style I know we talked about American single malts last week, but this is an American-Belgian style beer from New Belgium Brewery in Fort Collins, Colorado. And this has become one of my go-tos. If you like Belgian style beers, you can pick up a six-pack of this for around $10 in any decent liquor store. That's a great price. And it is a great price because you're familiar with Belgian beers. You know it's not unheard of to pay upwards of Ten plus dollars for a twelve ounce bottle of yep. some of these. So for ten dollars for a six pack, how can you go wrong? Mm-hmm. So you know, I lived in Belgium for many many years, and but before Belgium, I lived in London, and I remember everybody warning me, "Hey, when you get over there, the beers are a lot stronger." You know, so so watch out. And I so I'm like extra vigilant, 
and then the, it wasn't easy to look things up on the internet. This was the very early days of the internet. And so, um, I, I was like, I don't, I mean, yeah, okay. I guess they're a little stronger, but I don't really get it. And then I moved to Belgium and I remember when I, first night I got there, we were at a cafe and my friend said to me, what, what would you like? And I said, well, what do you, I want like to, I want to have like a very interesting, like, what is a great Belgian beer that you guys do? And they're, oh, we're going to get you, we're going to get you a, a triple. Um, okay. It's going to be an Abbey beer. Okay, great. And they gave it to you in what they call a bolica. So it's a stemmed glass that's a bowl. Mm-hmm. And they're very serious about their beer glasses way before anybody else was serious about them. And I drank this sucker. And by, by the last sip, I felt it. I was like, oh, holy shit. I felt like I had drank a case of beer. I got up to go to the bathroom and I was a little like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I had two of those. And I remember being driven home and then I woke up the next morning. And that was it. Those are the knockout beers. But let me tell you, if you have had real beer in Belgium, it's very difficult to drink the Belgian styles here. So it's just, you know, you get used to it. And they're just, and they have a beer called Primus, a Pilsner. Like, come on, you know? And at least when I lived there, it would be like 50 cents for a Pilsner, you know? It's tough to leave a place yeah, like that. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> yeah, you can't beat that. No, you can't. <laughs> uh, so tonight I am drinking. I made myself a black Manhattan, and I've got a little bit of uh, Tennessee whiskey in my glass. Ooh. Yes, and you guys know oh, I'm a big fan of the Dickel. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of George Dickel's distiller, uh, but. I am also a huge fan of Uncle Nearest. Have you guys had it yet? I have not. Matt, you haven't had it? I have not. Why don't you have a bottle open in your store? I should have one. Okay. But I do not. You're in trouble. Okay. (laughs) I expect to see you sell a case of Uncle Nearest next week in your store. I'll try my best. Open a bottle. I'll open one tomorrow. Delicious. I have heard um, good things. It is so delicious. So, um, but we're going to talk a little bit more on another segment. I'm going to go a little bit in depth um, on this the, be- the beautiful, beautiful story, present day and past. It's actually two stories that have created this whiskey. That just just mind blowing. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm drinking tonight. Very good. How about you, Matt? Awesome. Well, I'm drinking my whiskey segment, so I guess I'll get into that right now. Let's Let's do do it. So as I said before at the top of the show, I've been waiting a long, long, long time for this episode. As most of the listeners know from me talking incoherently most of the time, uh, I am originally from New Jersey. Now, most of the time when one thinks of New Jersey and music together, you know, the mainstream buffoons will really only cling to two individuals. So, (laughs) you know, you Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi... Oh, uh, you know, yeah. so 
<clears throat> who may be topics of future episodes. Oh, maybe? and mistakenly, Billy Joel. Don't forget about that. Yes, yes. He is mistaken for being from so many places, like Pennsylvania. <laughs> He's from Long Island. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah, so, but Allentown. Because right, of know? the Allentown. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's also, true. everybody thinks he's from New Jersey. I don't, I don't yeah, know why. I don't, yeah, I don't know why either. Um, but yeah, Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi, who may or may not be the subject of future overrated episodes, perhaps. We'll see. To be determined. Yes. Uh, I, of course, anyone who knows me have never been one for the mainstream. So when I think of New Jersey and music, I think of someone like, you know, one Mr. Glenn Danzig, who himself is a fine representative of the Garden State. But what really embodies New Jersey? Toughness, perseverance. Smell of garbage. I take. (laughs) Come on. The stinky side of the river. (laughs) Spray tans. High hair. Really, really high hair. You are blowing up my spot so bad right now. Uh, What is it called? Tan laundry. What did they call it? Jim tan laundry. Jim tan laundry. (laughs) See, this is what happens when you have a New Yorker. And a New Jerseyite together That's on what a show. When you watch too much TV, goddammit. <laughs> no, because <laughs> I could say a lot worse that people probably wouldn't understand if you're not from the area. But New Jersey has always been the New York. Like, they want to be us so bad. And they're almost there because they're just right over the river, but they're just not ever going to be All us. Right, so back to my great whiskey segment here. <laughs> so what embodies New Jersey? Toughness, <laughs> perseverance. A take-no-bullshit attitude. A raw and iron will. <laughs> Except you just took so much bullshit. <laughs> yeah, so now I sound like a fucking joke. Uh, <laughs> to enjoy me. So Overkill embodies everything it means to be from New Jersey. Everything that I said, not that Sailor said. <laughs> So, of course, I had to go with a New Jersey-born whiskey for this segment. So, for this Overkill Whiskey segment, I chose Tracks and Rails Bourbon from Claremont Distilling in Fairfield, New Jersey. New Jersey, New Jersey. Do they use river water, or what are no. they using there? <laughs> <laughs> Is it made in a mall? <laughs> oh, my God. I am very good friends with Claremont. They better not hear this. <laughs> They will send you, they will DM you. (laughs) Add it to the pile. (laughs) Add it to the pile, my friend. Very, very true. And all you have to say to someone from New Jersey, if you're a New Yorker and they try to start shit with you, you go, hey, I'm from New York. And they're like, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Walking away. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, New Jersey's called the Garden State. If anybody didn't know that, but... New Yorkers call it the garbage state because it always. <laughs> why? I don't even remember why it always smelled like garbage. You guys had there was a plant right in Jersey City or something that goes back like to the seventies. Yeah, there's right? a lot of there's a lot of plants. That's what, there what was something it, the garden that made it smell like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> we plant a lot of things. That's why it's called garden state. <laughs> yeah, you, you plant a lot of dead bodies by the mob. <laughs> 
Hey, the smell of rotting flesh. You gotta put them somewhere. (laughs) Anyway, Anyway. I'm curious to hear about this whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) All right, sorry, I'll pull it together. All right. So, Tracks and Rails is a five-grain bourbon. Corn, rye, wheat, malted barley, and oats married together to create this incredibly well-balanced and harmonious whiskey. Here are my tasting notes for Tracks and Rails bourbon. So in the glass, this unique whiskey greets you with a gorgeous mahogany color. On the nose, at first, it actually seems a bit muted, but some malted barley sweetness comes through with a nice waft of sawdust and some Cheerios. That's the standard yellow box of Cheerios, not the other stuff. You know, the, the regular standard Cheerios. <laughs> the honey nut. The honey, the honey nut. nut. No, just yes. the regular standard old Real school Cheerios. Nut. Yeah. So the nose transitions seamlessly to the palate. The whiskey is medium-bodied, a bit chewy, with a boisterous, oaky goodness. It drinks young, but extremely vivacious. There is a lot going on in this bottle, and the finish lingers and lingers and lingers. So now, aside from this whiskey and the band of honor tonight, sharing the same birthplace, and myself, there is something to be said about the name Tracks and Rails and linking it to Overkill. As we have covered last week overkill has been absolutely killing it for almost 40 years 40 years hear that and 19 albums 40 years 19 albums throughout their career they have never showed any signs of slowing down while many of their contemporaries experimented and traveled from their roots from time to time i really never thought that way with overkill they did do a thing or two here uh though i really always felt that they stayed on track with everything i would agree Yeah, through lineup changes, as we will see, uh, as we have seen, they remain pretty consistent, and that is a testament to them after four decades of pure brutality. A testament Uh, to them. Yes, a testament to them. (laughs) Four decades of brutality. (laughs) They are the unstoppable freight train, the runaway locomotive of thrash and heavy metal, as they will enter the studio to record album number 20 in 2020. Album number twenty wow. and twenty. That's a, I mean, you have to if you're gonna you even if it's just like the sounds of like bang bang bang. You gotta record something. Yeah, but you don't like it's like they just released an album. I know. What did we say? Twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen? Yeah. No, twenty nineteen this year. And they're going back in the studio to release yep. another album. That's Nobody what a does that now. Band, I know, yes. but that's what man. I miss those days. Yeah. Now you get like. It's been six years. Maybe Tool will release an album. Maybe they won't. No, no, no. How long did we have to wait for Tool just to get their albums streaming? Longer than the Beatles. So Tool will talk about an album for Uh six years. And then they'll say, yeah, we're in the studio for six years. And then actually release one. Exactly. Yeah, so you're talking a decade. And Metallica's the same way. We've seen that as well. Um, But to actually 40 years into the game, and these guys are in their mid to late 50s, to release an album in 2019 and then go then tour and then go back into the studio a year later to work on their 20th album they still show no signs of derailing that train anytime soon and you know other than the new jersey link tracks and rails man train locomotive these guys aren't going to stop anytime soon and that is my whiskey segment i like it so what's the um What's the makeup, the mash bill of this uh, bourbon? Do you know? Is it a I, liter? I anticipated somebody asking me that, and I had, don't know what the percentages, uh, what the percentages are of the five grains in here. 
unfortunately. It's a five grain. It's a yeah, five grain, grain, yes. Yeah. Okay, I must have missed that part. So corn wheat, corn wheat, malted barley, rye, and oats as the fifth grain. Okay. And we've talked about this on the show before. Multi-grain I have mentioned whiskeys, it before. And, yeah. No, I mean multi-grain whiskeys and oat whiskeys. And I talked about Koval's oat whiskey. And I love, I, I really hope people start doing more oats and whiskey. It is a beautiful way to get creaminess and, and velvety texture. And I, I think the last several four grain or five grain whiskeys I've tasted have been just phenomenal. I'm a big fan. I agree. I'm a, I'm a big fan of these multi-grain whiskeys. I think if you know what you're doing, you know, if you're mm. if you're a really good blender, you can come up with such a fantastic mash bill and have the ability to pull in so many more flavors into that mash as opposed to expecting it, expecting it to come just from the barrel. I love that. You know, as opposed to your well, we've got uh, mostly corn and uh, we got a touch of a little touch of barley and a little touch of rye. Uh, it seems like you've got to, you, it really takes some talents to balance that many different uh, grains in oh, one yeah. whiskey. Absolutely. You know, that's like next level yeah. <laughs> of uh, yes. distilling. So, yeah, just really quick, a plug for 30 seconds here, because Claremont, um, you know, was not far from the store that I worked at in New Jersey. And, you know, they had some flavored vodkas that we carried. Pretty good flavored vodkas. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge vodka guy, but, you know, as far as, you know, summer drinks and, and, and mixes and cocktails, I mean, they were very nice. Uh, so, you know, one of the, the persons that worked there came in with this bourbon, five grain bourbon, and we tasted it. And we're like, oh, my God, that's really fucking good. And it's from New Jersey. We were one of the first stores to carry it uh, in New Jersey. And um, I and bought a few bottles. a bourbon? It's bourbon, yes. Why are, why so it has. That's weird. Well, know. it's got to be. Well, it, I know it has to be more than fifty-one percent, obviously. I know. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a bourbon, though. Well, that was. All right. I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't. No, and I, I I understand because there's so much other. There's yeah, so what much you just going on to me yes. doesn't sound like a bourbon. It sounds like a five grain whiskey. Yeah, I mean, so they have five grain on the label, mm. um, underneath bourbon whiskey, but it. You know, obviously, by law, it has to be at least 51% corn. Mm-hmm. So, you don't have to call it a bourbon, though. You don't have to. No, absolutely no. not. I yeah. think I, I see that that's indicative of smaller distilleries. They often feel like, and, and that was true years ago. And I mean, it, it, it's, it is smarter marketing, you know, because people are familiar with what a bourbon is. But I'm, I'll be excited for the day when people don't feel like they have to put bourbon on the label or they right. have to make a bourbon when they're just like, this is a really good American whiskey. And, you know, we're better at drinking whiskey as a country and understanding our own whiskey. And the bottle I have is batch number one. So it's, wow. it's batch wow. number one. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure in the few years since then, they've, you know, they I think they went over a label change. They have a rye whiskey now. So, you know, they've done they've expanded some things. So um, but I was I was pleasantly surprised and, you know, always yeah. wanting to support local, obviously. Hell yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Drink local. That's very, very, very important. Very important. And yes. I've said many times, if you don't like what your local distillery is offering right now, please keep checking in with them every year. They, you know, I, I think people need to understand that. Sure. You can buy whiskey from MGP from other larger distilleries and you can 
bottle it yourself and call it your own whiskey. But if you're committed to making your own whiskey, you've got to put that back for, you know, four to five to seven years, depending on, you know, where you want to go with it. Um, so just continue to check in with your local distilleries and, um, you know, as the years go on, they will have more age product coming mm -hmm. out and they will just get better at their craft. It takes time, you know, it takes time. It takes experience, but you've got to support them. It's so important for our industry. It's important for so many industries in the country, farming, bringing back local farming, bringing back, you know, the art of coopering and, you know, we could go on and on and on. Also, let me make a correction about New Jersey. <laughs> I want to say one thing. So they have a very nice shore. I will say that. Um, if you ever have the chance to go to Cape May or Wildwood, New Jersey, they're two very, very cool places. Um, the history of Cape May is super cool. And Wildwood has the most original and intact neon signs than anywhere else in the United States. And they, they eclipsed Las Vegas, which is disgusting because Vegas tore down so many of their old, on the old Vegas strip, their old mm -hmm. original hotels and the neon signs that went with it. Yeah. And so if you drive through Wildwood, it's super cool. It's like, it, it, you, it's like you went back in time. And if you didn't have cars on the street, you could be in the 50s and early 60s. It's all those like 50s style motels that have just been preserved and with all their original neon signs and, you know, one's like the Egyptian, the other is the Tiki. And, oh, it's just, I spent an evening when I, I went to Cape May on vacation, spent one night, you want to wait till the sun goes down and you just drive up and down. Just, it's a, it's a, you know, gridded, a grid and just snake up and down and look at all the cool neon signs and the architecture of all the motels. It's just super cool. And they've gotten it then an amusement park on the boardwalk on the beach, which is really cool. And they got butt fucked by the hurricane. Um, and I was there in 2015, I think it was, or 15, I think. And they had just rebuilt their beaches. Um, so they could use the tourism. It will definitely help the local economy. But Cape May is a historic little, it's, it's what do they call it, Matt? The point, the something about the point. It's the, the southernmost point of southernmost point of the north. No, it's the southernmost point of the north, right? Something like that. What, yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but they have this super cool hotel that has managed to survive since the early 1800s, which is impressive because the amount of blizzards and hurricanes they've had. And there's a really cool ghost tour that you can do. And they've also had like some epic fires and just really, really very, very pretty. Very New England looking. Yeah. And, you know, last week you mentioned when you were talking about Balcones and you were doing, you know, the history of whiskey and the history of this country. And, you know, the history of whiskey in this country follows the history of this country, basically. And it starts on the East Coast. It starts yep. in New Jersey and, you know, Pennsylvania and Delaware and New York. And it works its way out west. So mm -hmm. you have a lot of those original beach resorts, those original shore points that are in New Jersey. Those were one of the first ones to actually have shore communities and um, family getaways. And that was also because New of Jersey. shipping as well. And shipping as well, yes. Yeah, so it was close to New York that. City. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And a lot of what you were shipping would have been rum and then brandy and then whiskey. Correct, yes. 
So there's your history lesson for today, kids. <laughs> Metal, rock, whiskey, and American history. There, there you go. go. Boom. All right. Let's get into this battle, shall we? All right, so the first album we're going to talk about is Taking Over. So Taking Over is Overkill's second studio album. It was released in March of 1987. This was their Megaforce record with Atlantic. Um, Our favorite drummer name, Rat Skates, was their drummer (laughs) at the time. (laughs) Um, So... Okay, so before we break down the album, let's just talk a little bit about... So, um, they were touring at the time, and uh, they opened for bands, like we said last week, um, to promote this album before and after Halloween, and um, they went on tour with Megadeth for the Peace Sells But Who's Buying tour. Um, And then they started headlining. So um, I feel like this was kind of a pivotal album for them because it's real. It you know, was their first like real, I think their first real like promoted album, right? You know, with like a decent production budget, all of that, and they were able to start headlining tours. Um, so, <clears throat> so super well known in New York, New Jersey area, and then they really started to break out. Uh, you know, across the country. And they also, this album was their first one to chart on the Billboard 200. Um, I mean, it didn't chart high, of course, because nothing like this would have. So uh, let's talk about this album and how we feel about it, guys. Okay. I want Ed to go first. All right. (laughs) Well, this album was my first exposure to uh, Overkill. Um. And I must say that uh, it really did not leave a good first impression. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I thought Ellsworth's vocals were frequently off key. Um, It's like he was really trying to find his voice in this album. You could tell it was an early album. Um, It was very unpolished. the lyrics were fairly simplistic. Um, like the Wrecking Crew, I could see just a bunch of high school boys sitting around. Oh, yeah, we're going to make this metal out. This going to be a Wrecking Crew. And it's going to be a Wrecking Crew. Yeah, that's badass, you know. But it's just... <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I don't... After this, the, the, after listening to this first album, I was really worried. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to make it through two more albums of this. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, fair, fair enough to say um, I am not a fan of this album. I mean... It's funny because they they themselves, and Ellsworth says, calls the vocals dreadful, to quote, compared yeah. to how they sound now. So they, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's an early, yeah. it, <clears throat> it's an early album, you know. Sure. Yeah, I'll chalk it up to that. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, what about you? 
Well, if I could give like 30 seconds here, 45 seconds to just a quick story. Take as much so, time as you Okay, thank you. No! So, <laughs> so I was always big four. You know, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax, Metallica. So I, I had the pleasure of working with a gentleman, who friend of the show. He is a big. He is a contributor on Facebook, um, and his name is Paul, uh, who I had the pleasure of working with for many years. Um, and he actually made me a, a, a. He's like, if you know, he's like, you know, metal and thrash goes far beyond just those guys. Thank you. Yes, and uh, you know, he's of that age where he was, he was there during that time. Uh, East Coast guy, so he's he's been there the whole time, and. You know, he had, you know, Overkill was on this on this mix CD, um, uh, you know, a number, number, of, <clears throat> excuse me, a number of other bands. And but Overkill was the one that stood out and he is a big fan of Overkill and he was the one that introduced me to them officially. So I have to thank him right now. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Paul. So and the first song on that mixed CD was Power Surge. So Power Surge is, it holds a special place in my heart. I agree with what Ed says. Mm -hmm. Production value in the fucking shit tank. Absolutely (laughs) terrible. Uh, When you're comparing it to future albums, definitely not up to par. Um, There is some, a foundation of, there's a foundation of primal riffage there. Some groovy sort of things there. So, yeah, some groovy, some groovy bridges, some catchy things there. That is a good foundation. Like I said, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you guys actually watched the music video for uh, in Union, in Union We Stand. Did anybody watch that? No, I, I didn't. Rem- I remember. Myself. I remember okay. it, so I know it. So um, I was. And this is the first time I watched it. Literally, like three hours before we started recording. First time I saw it ever. And I was sort of taken aback because it reminded me a lot of kind of glam metal videos from like the mid to late 80s. These guys actually had big hair. They had big Uh, hair. That's what everybody looked like at the time. That's what we keep trying. You're absolutely right. And I was like, I'm seeing the logo like below the drums and it looks like Poison's logo. And I'm like, (laughs) this is not the band I know. Like, this can't be the band (laughs) I know. Um, Obviously faster, obviously heavier, uh, obviously with that little edge. But um, yeah, like listening to this album front to back again. Yeah, it's... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It has its issues. It's got its issues. No, it's seriously, has its issues. And yeah. you know, I've, I've yeah. and I, and we're not talking about anything from you know post nineteen ninety two here, but well, I think uh, you know when people say did this age well, it does not age know, well. I, it does not age well at all. And I yeah, I, I like that sentiment because yeah. it's a great way to reflect because you're not saying well this was shit at the time because it wasn't shit at the time. No I mean, way, obviously, no. yeah, it wasn't shit at the time. Um, you know, it's just like the first, you know, the first roller skates I got were those metal things that you clipped on the oh, bottom yeah. of your shoes, you know, yeah, with a little were, wing nut to adjust. Yeah, it. they were <laughs> fucking horrible. Though. The wheels were small. They were they were the worst. They, they were like they were the worst things ever. But I was like, 
damn it. I'm skating. Oh, yeah. I am going. I am rolling. And then I got real, you know, skates with trucks on them. And I was yes. like, oh, my God. It's like floating on butter, you know. It's the same thing, you know, did this eight, you know, those skates aren't shit necessarily because they, it was great at the time, but then it got, you know, things improved. And this album, you know. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) two more quick things. Number one, um, and this is from watching the music video and I, I made this point clear. This is 1987, 1987. 87. So Bobby Blitz, man, Bobby Ellsworth rocking the bullet belt, like the <laughs> empty shell belt. Everybody and I was had like, that belt. And oh, I was yeah. like, dude, but like fucking James Hetfield caught on to that shit that. like 25 years later. <laughs> like, he's like, <laughs> he's like he started wearing that shit like 25 years after the fact. I Wait, let me say one thing. Yeah. Let me, and I, you know, I do not defend modern Metallica. He never wore will, that back in the he day. He didn't, he didn't, they didn't dress up at all. They didn't do anything. They would just like roll out of bed yeah. and get on stage. They were yeah. poor. They didn't care. They were like, whatever. They just wanted to play music. And I respect that. Yes. But the, yeah, the bullet, we all had the bullet built. Yeah. I'm saying he adopted that like much later than oh, anyone sure. thought he would have. Yeah, of course. Uh, and another thing I will say, if there's one thing I have to say negative about Overkill, just in general, any band, and this is any band that has a song named after the band, I just don't like that. I don't know what it is. Like you can do the like the self-titled album thing is fine for me. But it's like but for it's some reason, like the, song... the nightmare continues. Bad it's just company. like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I, like I don't know. When you're doing like Overkill one, two, and three, it's like I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but I don't know that at the time they felt. That's just the pet peeve of mine. For a minute. Not, but I don't yeah. know that they felt that Overkill was them yet. I still think they're feeling like it's an homage. It's an homage title. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know that they owned, that they had this deep ownership. I don't know that they looked at that word and said, that's us. Okay, fair point. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's fair. I don't think at this time they would feel that way. I think they're still feeling like, you know, this, you're always trying to pay homage to the people you look Correct. up to. And yeah. Musicians are the biggest fangirls that you'll ever meet. Just so people, like, let me tell you, if you want to talk about obsessive fans, musicians are the most obsessive fans of other musicians. Like, they literally, careers are started. They stop their lives and change their life courses because they're so obsessed with other musicians and want to be a musician and be like them. Yeah, considering the the genesis of the name, yes, I, I can agree with I you on that. It. Yes, that's no, it's true, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm still trying to figure out what electroviolence is. What's electroviolence? <laughs> I don't is know. It like but it electrical chair? Cool yeah, shit. it does sound cool as shit. It might. It's like I gotta give them credit because like some of their song title names, I I do I kind of dig. We'll get into that later as we talk to, about the other albums, but what was yeah. the movie where the guy got? They electrocuted him in prison, but it didn't take. And then he could like travel in and out of at electrical outlets and kill people. And he was oh, old. And you know what I'm talking about? Mount ah! West Craven. 
brings you his greatest creation. Shocker. I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't remember the name. I wonder if they saw if that movie predates this album. Electroviolence. It's not just violence. It's electroviolence. I have a feeling that movie predates this album because that used to happen a lot. Uh, could but be. But I, I could be totally wrong. I'm speculating here. Who the fuck do I know? Um, if anybody knows, let us know. Yeah. What is yes. it? If anybody knows the name of the movie I'm talking about, he did. Mo- didn't he do most of the movie in his orange jumpsuit? And he had a shaved head, right? I don't know. I've never seen them. No, I know no, what you're talking about. I know about, exactly what you're talking about, them. and I can't remember. And it had, met, like, I think I liked the movie because it had, like, metal bands in it. And he would, like, he became electricity, but he was, like, killing everyone. Oh, my God. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Anyway. I don't know why, but I always thought this album was about that movie. Which <laughs> that's totally just in my head. It well, I mean, not, power surge. It doesn't mean electroviolence. I know yeah. that's what I don't know. <laughs> so, all right, I think I'm gonna have to agree with both of you guys on this album, even though it holds a very special place in my heart because this was the year where I was really, really coming into my own as a metalhead. I was in New York. I was into what was happening on the ground, on the streets. I was a girl who snuck out the window at night and, and went out and, you know, went out into the city, which I was in Queens. And you would have thought I was going to another country <laughs> by taking the train under the river. I mean, truly, they would call it going to New York. And I'm like, but we live in New York. New York. Anyway, yeah. this is what you going would say. Going... Yeah, it's true. No, it's we didn't say the city. That was Manhattanites called it the city, city because right. god forbid another city in the world exists for people outside like in the boroughs you say going to new york and you mean manhattan super weird anyway um okay so i think that we're all in agreement on this one um you know when i looked back on accolades from the press and critics they all pretty much agree that looking back on this album, it doesn't age well. But at the time, we cannot, I don't want to dismiss how important this album was at the time. And it did make it in um, in several uh, magazines as 500 greatest rock and metal albums of all time. And I think that's a fair point because of historically where it is placed. Like I always say, if you in my whiskey classes, if you've been to the George Washington distillery to Mount Vernon, the whiskey is disgusting, but buy a bottle because it's fucking cool, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's super cool that that, that that distillery was restarted. I kind of feel the same way about this. Like, don't overlook how important this album was. All right, but let's move on from that. So... So as far as taking over, we're all in agreement. Let's move to Under the Influence. So this is the third studio album, and it was released on July 5th of 1988, again on Megaforce. Um, so this is our, our favorite drummer named Rat Skates had left and you've got Sid Falk, who apparently is just, uh, 
testing his ability. <laughs> he's just along for the ride. Just, yeah, he, it's he's, practice. He's just ha- he's just doing aerobics the yeah. whole time. Um, let's see. So they again, of course, toured heavily. Um, and you know, the one thing we didn't mention was Pyramid Studios in Ithaca, New York. That's kind of a pretty was kind of a pretty famous studio back then for a lot of these bands and. We, we actually, we didn't bring that up. And when um, we do our shows on on studios and producers and all that stuff, we, we definitely need to talk about Pyramid. Um, so for this album, they were, and before and after, they were touring with Nuclear Assault, M.O.D., and Testament. Um, and then they toured with Slayer and Motorhead. That must have been cool for them to finally do a tour with Motorhead. That must have been super awesome you know since they were such big fans um so okay let's i mean there's been some accolades but let me save the accolades for a minute let's go around the room and get everyone's personal opinion on this album all right ed you go well i'll I'll continue the the pattern here um (laughs) well okay so after listening to the first album, I'm like, okay, here we go. And the second album, put this on. Like, oh, all right. Now we're talking. It's like, okay, this is something I, I could get into this. Right, this is this is looking up. This is looking better. Um, so yeah, the nice I this album I actually really started to enjoy. Um listened to it a few times um i have to say pretty solid album um it to me the l the songs more towards the beginning and towards the end um i think are the best it kind of loses me a little bit in the middle uh with like mad gone world and braid fade for brain fade for some reason those two i just didn't didn't care for but uh, like shred and never say never hello from the gutter um, Drunken Wisdom, End of the Line, Head Fist. Those are all pr- pretty solid songs. Um, so, yeah, this is much better, gives me a much better impression of the band. I don't want to give too much away talking, comparing it to the, the next album, but I will say that compared to the first album, yeah, I think this is a much, much better showing for the band. For sure. Voices... And I, yeah. I should say that, <clears throat> sorry, Go that ahead. this album also charted on the Billboard 200, but this album remained on the chart for 13 weeks. That is huge back then. I think it's their longest Billboard run, actually. But um, this was, for it to, to even get on the billboard 200 at the time even though it was like 142 or something that's still huge back then and to stay on as long as it did i think is was pretty amazing so yeah i'll definitely say i will pick this album over um (laughs) over taking taking over over any day of the week that's that's for sure so that's where i stand all right matt what about you so yeah, we're in 1988 here, so we've talked about this before. We've covered all the big thrash bands at this time, Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, Testament, Exodus, 
Um, I know I'm missing someone. Megadeth. So how this album is not in the same conversation with some of those albums just boggles my mind. Yeah, it's bullshit. It really, it really does. Because from the get-go, uh, if the first track doesn't pull you in there's, and you're a metal fan, there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry. And you're not really a metal fan. Then you're not really a metal fan. Because I feel that the first one or two tracks on this album, I will go three and four, can carry you to the end. And unfortunately, I'm going to disagree with Ed here because I feel like the meat of this album, the middle tracks, four, five, and six, will carry you to the end with the first three tracks. Uh, despite what I said before about the the track, you know, naming the track after the band because there is an Overkill three on this album. <laughs> um, despite that. Um, I can overlook that and look at the first eight tracks and say that this album is fucking fantastic. I can say, and I didn't say this with taking over, but I feel like there's something for everyone on this with, with this band. I really feel like there's something for everybody. There's catchy choruses, there's speed, there's heaviness, there's great vocals, there's great solos, there's great riffage. Uh, there are, you know, there, there are breakdowns in these songs. There, the bridge, you know, the bridges and all these songs are groovy and fantastic. Uh, I feel like it's taking over on steroids, uh, better, uh, as Ed said, it's better, better, uh, quality, better production. It deserves to be in that conversation. Uh, this album is just fantastic. And, um, it's one of my favorite thrash metal albums, period, the end. Wow. Yes. Well, I, I said it. have to say that this, again, I'm already a fan at this point um, of the band, and I'm already big time into thrash when this album comes out. Um, I think this, might have been the tour where I saw them live. If it's not this tour, it's for Years of Decay. Um, for me, Hello from the Gutter is the breakout song. It was one of the singles. Um, it was Head First and Hello from the Gutter, but I think it was Hello from the Gutter that had the the video was on all the time on, yep. on Headbangers Ball. Um, I, I agree with Shred is the first track never say never hello from the gutter by the time you get to brain fade it's just again it's a progression album you know it's lined up exactly how they wanted it to be lined up so you do want to don't listen to it on shuffle if you listen to it now digitally please listen to it one through nine the way um, it's supposed to be. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, back then it mattered. You know, there are n not every album was organized to really matter, but this is a progression in fervor and speed and anger and emotion and all of that stuff. Um, I think this is, it's just a phenomenal album. I mean, is the production value as good as it could be? I and mean, we're going to get to the next album. No, but does this has a place historically and this was just i mean at the time i don't know still to me hello from the gutter is just such that's one of the I, for me it's like one of the songs from this band 
Hello from the Gutter. I just think it was, it's such a perfect example of what thrash was in the 80s, what thrash really and truly was and should sound like. Hello from the Gutter, perfect example. Like, hang it on a wall, put it in the dictionary, boom. Mm -hmm. Love it. So I'm a big fan of this album. And you you mentioned the production is not where it should be, but you have to say it is markedly better than the previous album. Oh, for yeah. sure, oh, for sure, again, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. And again, they don't have Megadeth budgets. They don't have Metallica oh, they don't budgets. Have no, nowhere they near. don't even have yeah. Slayer budgets for some reason. No. These guys, like you said, we should call them overlooked. So fucking overlooked and undervalued, you know. And yet, look at this album sold over. Th- 300,000 copies worldwide within, I think it's six years of the album coming out. For a fucking pretty unknown thrash band, especially when thrash is starting to kind of, I don't want to say die off at the time, but it is the beginning of the end. That's pretty fucking substantial. So why they were overlooked, I have no idea. I don't know, but it's bullshit. But um, yeah, I mean, the production value for for the budget they were given is impressive. Yeah. For sure. So, all right. This brings us to the the last album in our battle, The Years of Decay. And this is the fourth studio album from Overkill and it was released on October 13th of 1989 and again Megaforce and Atlantic um, it's the last album with Gustafson on it um, as we mentioned uh, in our first episode discussing this band you know he was feuding between himself and Ellsworth and um, Dee Dee Verney And unfortunately, they could not resolve it. So this is the last album with him. And this is this is a big, big album kind of to talk about. And I think the reason that we went with three albums is because I feel like you kind of have to take taking over and under the influence, put them together and then put it up against the years of decay. I don't know if you guys would agree that it is a meteor album. Um so this one was uh, recorded in a different studio and with a different producer. Um, big, big tour for this one. This is considered a legacy album. And um, the reception from it was phenomenal at the time. Um, it reached 155 on the Billboard 200 and was on for eight weeks. Um not as long as the previous album under the influence, but still very, very, very impressive. Um, this is on many lists as thrash albums you need to own, um, or thrash albums not released by the big four. It's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty fucked up that you have to have a list <laughs> like that. But, uh, so th- there are, there are some things that happened in the production of this album and where they went musically that would inspire so many bands and artists going forward, it would take too long for us to mention. Um, I'm just going to mention Pantera is one of them. Um, Dimebag Daryl always said that his guitar tone and sound 
it was this album where he was like, holy shit, I want that sound. And for them, I think this was really their shift from being a glam band to turning into Pantera. If you listen to our Pantera episode um, (laughs) and you know early Pantera, you know their shift. He was just one among many. Um, So the reception was amazing and it's considered a classic album. So let's, before we go too much on the accolades, Ed, what is your feeling on this album? Well, my feeling on this album is they are continuing on their upward trajectory um, with these albums, for sure. Now, there was a nut, to me, there was an almost night and day difference between Under the Influence and Taking Over, but there wasn't as big of a difference between Years of Decay and Under the Influence, but I could tell there, there was progression there. There was definitely progression. Um, and I agree, this Years of Decay is a thrash album that I do need to own. Um, this is one I think it is strong from front to back. I mean, some of the, the I think my, fa- my favorite um, Overhill songs are on this, on this album. Um, Elimination, of course, that's one of the big ones. Um, Playing with Spiders, uh, Skull Crusher, that is just... That's kind of a, I love songs like that that change it up. You know, we've talked about this in the past. It gives you a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, just well well done. Um, Who Tends the Fire, um, Evil Never Dies. Those are, to me, are the standout tracks. Um, and even the ones I didn't mention, I do like, and I would have them on any, you know, thrash playlist, gladly. Um, so this album, to me, I think... Yeah, I really enjoyed this album uh, from beginning to end. And, um, yeah, that's that's what I think. Matt? I'm so happy you made that connection with Dimebag and with Overkill because I, I didn't have the wherewithal to make that connection. You said it, and it's like, holy shit. Like, listening to this album and seeing where he could draw that from makes absolute sense. Um, so, so great job there. And you could pretty much copy and paste everything I said about under the influence to years of decay. Um, there's a little bit more plotting, uh, plotting P L P L O D D I N G plotting, uh, riffs here in this album than there were in under the influence. Uh, just more deep grinding riffs on this album. Uh, there's a lot of rage, a lot of aggression in his lyrics. Uh, there's a certain amount of, as weird to say, this kind of, uh, especially in playing with spiders, is like kind of a sexiness to the way that they produce a song. Um, it's it's they're definitely moving beyond the border of where they were before. Um, you know, they have, they, they hit kind of a mellowness with years of decay, uh, the song and it's just like Ed said, there's a progression there. Um, there's certainly more of a progression here, um, with this album than there was with the previous two albums. Uh, but you know, I, this is going to be so tough for me because these two albums, I always have linked together because of the time that they were released and what was going on in the genre at that time. 
but a fantastic album nonetheless. Uh, they they push themselves a little bit, and it's it's nice to hear some, you know, a little bit of of different things with them. And I think you know if I if I have to sum it up in one one really cool thing, it's that that uh, you know Bobby uh, Ellsworth with his lyrics and the way he's singing on this album, uh, just more just of that aggression, which I fucking love. I absolutely love. So, you know, this album copy and paste plus what I said with the other album is fucking fantastic. So this album, like I said last week was their best production value to date. They were given a much bigger budget. What I love about this album is the complexity of their song structures. I feel like they really came into their own as musicians. Um, as a band, which is funny because, you know, it's the last album for, for some band members. But mm-hmm. I feel like they were more, they had a lot more unity. And that could really be, um, that could really be Terry Date being a producer. And that's part of your job as a producer is, you know, really bringing out the best in these people, even though, even if they aren't getting along and pulling this sound together. Um Elimination is on this album, which was, like I said previously, a huge hit on MTV Headbangers Ball. I think this is probably their, one of their most known songs, Elimination. I would say it's probably their most famous song, period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is the biggest fan favorite. And I, as I said last week, again, they have played this almost every single live show ever since this album came out. Um, you know, and, and, bringing up the Pantera thing. So Terry date became Pantera's producer because they wanted that sound. Same thing with Rob zombie, same thing with, um, Chris Cornell. He was looking for the specific sound. And that's one of the reasons that they all went to Terry date is because of the sound that he created on this album, which I find super interesting. Um, I think that, so it was, by the way, Cowboys from Hell that Terry Date produced. Oh, um, okay. Yes, which was why it makes sense in uh, their own trajectory. You know. Um, yep. Yep. That evil, was their uh, Pantera's big departure. From right. Their, exactly. Uh, yes. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They were like, "What the fuck is this? I want to sound like this, and let's get their that this band's mm-hmm. producer." Um, Evil Never Dies is a continuation of your favorite Matt Overkill one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> they just but didn't they, call it. They didn't yeah. overkill four. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, playing with spiders, like you said, again, I, that sexiness you talk about, I think, is that complexity and yeah. and putting a lot of atmosphere into their music. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that you can kind of hear. For me, that's like with Master of Puppets when you've mastered the thrash, when you've mastered playing so quickly playing so fast with timing like that and then you can add intensity to it and then you can get creative with it that takes time i don't know if people realize how challenging it is to play at the speed you are playing with thrash metal and if you look at some of the sheet music you know um certainly in the beginning it's going to be very simplistic and then when they 
feel so comfortable with it that they can get creative with it. I think that's when you get albums like this. That's when you get more complexity and you get the atmosphere, like you said, the sexiness, and you see that with playing with spiders. This is them coming into their own and really that genre being its own sound you know more Mm -hmm. people were doing Mm -hmm. it there were more things to compare it to there was more influence out there um you know the the title track the years of decay as well and i hate nothing to die for the intensity and the emotion in this album i think is what drives it you know i i kind of also wondered on i think it was this album i started wondering um where the influence took place between them and Metallica because a lot of the guitar riffs on here, I can picture James Hetfield playing some of these guitar riffs um, that were on this album. I know Metallica was, I saw a picture, I think I shared it with you guys of Kirk Hammett was actually wearing an overkill. Oh yeah. T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So I know they were aware of well, they, they were not only cool. aware, they were playing together. They were all touring yeah. together. It's a much smaller world at the time. Yeah. Your, oh, influences, your influences mm-hmm. are going to be pretty much the same or similar. Um, you know, they're at the time, if you think about the time Overkill starting and Metallica starting, they're getting their, a lot of their riffs still from Dave Mustaine. And Dave Mustaine, when he is with Megadeth is touring with overkill, you know, so they're all kind of influencing each other. That's sure. It's very atypical of a small scene at the yep. time. And you got to remember that Megaforce was based East coast as well. So a lot of Metallica's, mm-hmm. some of Metallica's early venues and early gigs were on the East coast. They were in New Jersey, in New York and they were as playing well. With overkill. And they were playing with overkill. The yes. And, there yes, you go. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah, again, it's a it's a small circle. You're all going to have pretty much the same influences. And yes. again, we've talked about this before. Kurt Hammett is your thrash fan. He is your heaviest music fan. We know that Cliff really wasn't even in. He wasn't even sure he wanted to join the band. He wasn't into the heavy music. But thank God, magically, he brought the musicality to the band. You know, James Hetfield is more of a classic rock guy. He's more of a drudge metal guy. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, at that time, you are going to take a lot of influences from each other, certainly when you're all touring together. Mm-hmm. And it's such it's a much smaller world, certainly. Um, so I think we... I think we need to get to our final... Elimination? Mm. Should we? Yeah. Should we, should we start by eliminating? <laughs> I think because that's not going to be hard. I think we can to eliminate taking over. Right? I think we can. Yeah. I yeah. think we all taking over is. So it, this it's this I, this is shaping up to be a two album battle. I think so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it does hurt, but I gotta say. I gotta, know. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. All right. So so we're what we're doing right now then is we're discussing under the influence against the years of decay. So. Who wants to go first? Ed, why don't you go first? I'll continue the order. Yeah. I am going Years of Decay. To me, that is the Overkill album. If you're going to own one Overkill album, this is it. Um, The complexity, the maturity, um, the vocals, everything was just ratcheted up. 
Um, and this album, I think, is an early thrash masterpiece. All right, Matt. Mm. Can I invoke the sailor rule on this one? Nope. No, you cannot. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> All right. So to think of a tiebreaker between these two albums, I gotta, I have to go with um, the one thing I, I noted over and over again was his lyrics and his delivery of the lyrics on Years of Decay. So that rage, that aggression, that you know violent way he sings on that album i have i have to go with that one so that being the tiebreaker i gotta go with yours is okay okay so that's your yeah, choice yeah yeah it's my choice so, if i can't use the sailor rule you cannot all right so if you want a historical view of what raw thrash metal raw american thrash metal was in the 1980s I say you should go with Under the Influence. That is a, a great snapshot of of true, unproduced, you know, thrash metal. But if you want one of the best examples we have of a band coming into its own, of really defining a genre, defining a sound, then that is definitely Years of Decay. To me, one of the top thrash albums period um i put it i put years of decay above megadeth albums above slayer albums as far as being one of the most important albums in thrash metal from the 80s absolutely i i fight me there's just there's no argument so i have to go with years of decay wow unanimous I Result. think it makes. I didn't think it was going to go down, Matt. I thought you were going to cling hard to under the influence. Yeah. Despite despite what I said, yeah, <laughs> I have to still have to go because I. I mean, I mean they're one A and one A squared for me, <laughs> or one A minus whatever you want to say. Yeah, uh, for me. So I think the um, only thing this album is missing, Years of Decay, the only thing it's missing is the backing that Metallica, Slayer, and Megadeth got. That's the only thing that is missing from this album, is the money behind it and the marketing behind it. And again, just like we said with a lot of the other bands that we discussed you know, in our Thrash series, um, the best of the rest, really that's the only defining thing is why were some bands given greater budgets for marketing than others? Really, I think that's kind of the only defining factor because overkill should be should be up there they deserve it more than some others do and i'm a huge anthrax fan and again i've said this many times i don't know how overkill wasn't more popular than anthrax i don't understand how anthrax has the lasting legacy and overkill doesn't in the mainstream it's mind-blowing yeah. That's I, I, I feel this. I feel the same way, Sailor. Um, after listening to them and comparing them to Anthrax, it's like, yeah, they definitely got the short shrift. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure. So maybe if Overkill did like a collab with a hip hop group, maybe they would have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not that that wasn't cool, and I'm no, not. No, it wasn't. That was and awesome. I'm not, yeah, and I'm and it was groundbreaking. Sure, yes. I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from Anthrax, but if no, we're going to no. talk about talent and musicality and songwriting, Overkill takes it by yes. a by a lead. I mean, easily. So again. Fuck the big four. <laughs> fuck that notion. Fuck all of that. That 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 that's that's erroneous, and I think we all know that by now. I think that was we could say that's probably just based on album sales. I, who knows who made that up? <laughs> I feel like the label the labels made. I don't who probably. who even knows who even knows. Probably. Um. So years of decay takes the cake. They are. Yeah. This is this album is the winner unanimously, which I'm super surprised. Yes, it's been a while since we've had a unanimous. Uh, I know. I like it though. Nice. I like it a lot. I like it. So that's it. That is where we land on Overkill. And I think this concludes our thrash series that we've been doing for quite a while. We took a little break for some alt rock in yes, there, but you did. I think, I think we've, have we covered everybody? I think we have now. A nice little bow on it. That's what yeah, we were trying we to do. Out. We were trying to. We finally wrapped it up. Yes. Yeah. I like it. And I like that we all agreed on it. So. But again, we kind of overlooked overkill for two years in overkill. <laughs> well it's just there's so many fucking bands there's yeah. so much to cover like i am you, joking you could say that about bands we're gonna cover that are up and coming like you know they are not overlooked. yeah can't give away what we're gonna talk about no we're not we're not <laughs> well good discussion Yes. I'm exhausted. I'm not looking forward to the continuation of this fucking bracket challenge, but I guess I'll survive. The brackets so, must Matt, continue. Yes. Take us out of here. All right. Well, thank you for listening, listeners. <laughs> Thanks for listening, <laughs> listeners. Yes. <laughs> Good job. Because uh, <laughs> that's what you do as listeners. Yes. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for watching, listeners. <laughs> yes. We hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as we did. And as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter as metal at metal rock whiskey. And we also have a super cool Facebook group under the same name and follow us individually. No, it's not you under can... the same name. No, it's not the same name. <laughs> change the script. You change it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to change this live on the air here. Listen, anonymous python. (laughs) (laughs) Under. He also meant to say, follow us individually. Matt is the whiskey obsessor. Save the E. I am Sailor Retro. So we also have a super cool Facebook group (laughs) under Spirit of Rock Podcast Network. (laughs) Yes. Uh-huh, good job. And you can follow us individually. You can find me at the Whiskey Obsessor. I that just is Whiskey. Said that. Save the E. <laughs> Sailor. 
<laughs> I just said this. I'm Sailor Retro. I know. And they can find me at Bourbon Geek on Instagram. And, by the way, if you love or even like us, hit that subscribe button and give us a review because it really does matter. And, of course, tune in next week for another episode of the Metal Rock and Whiskey Podcast. And, as always, fuck you, Lars. We're Later, out everyone. of here. Goodbye. Bye-bye. I love you more than mine.